Hello and welcome to this episode of the Tune Lighting Podcast and we've got another interview episode for you today which I hope you'll find useful and insightful. It was a really fun one to do, we really enjoyed it as it was with the actually an old neighbour of ours who reached out but we'll uh, more on that in the interview itself. Uh, but at this, at this point in the process we thought um, after starting off kind of arrogantly saying at the start of the, of the uh, album making process that we'll try and do it all ourselves and various things like that we're getting to a point now where we're starting to mix and things are getting a little bit more technical and it actually turns out that it's not as easy as we first thought perhaps. Um, so we decided to get someone on who does this a lot more professionally than we do and uh, that person is James Russell who is one of the two hosts of the Appetite for Production podcast. So another podcast uh, it has been going quite a bit longer than this podcast but they talk about all sorts of things uh, to do with production of music from plugins to insights from themselves, uh, people who actually work in the industry. So yeah, we, we are trying to tap into James's in-depth knowledge about music production in this episode and uh, see if he has any tips uh, we can pick up and uh, use in our album making process. So I hope you enjoy this episode, find it useful we certainly did, and uh, without further ado, here it is. We're here with uh, with James Russell. Our um, actually very well. We probably start off by saying it was uh, it was quite a shock when uh, when James reached out to us a while back on uh, on Twitter. Actually, I think it was. Um, and it turns out, I mean, James to give a little bit of background. Yeah, James is a um, used to be mine and Jack's neighbor <laughs> well hang on hang on let's let's give the real background because when you introduced this podcast the two of you you said uh, that you were friends from school but you were actually neighbors from childhood and your other neighbor was me yeah that's true that's true and uh yeah we i guess we we lost touch or well jack's been in touch with you slightly but i'll admit i completely lost touch with you james so apologies for that straight away but um it turns out that after we lost touch james went away and uh, did mu- did music professionally, much more professionally than uh, than we did, and uh, has actually ended up being a music producer. And uh, so when we, when I was kind of looking through um, Twitter and, you know, adding producers and stuff, hoping they'll find the podcast and uh, give us that, <laughs> that record deal, James is one of those uh, people that I think I, I added and uh, with completely not realizing, putting two and two together, and it turns out, he was our old uh, neighbor from childhood. So yeah, strange how these things happen. <laughs> when I saw that coming through on Twitter, I, I basically, I saw the word tune lighting. I thought that's a good word. And then I saw the <laughs> description and I thought that's a good podcast. And then I saw the picture. I thought, and you thought, oh no, <laughs> I'm pretty sure I know these guys. Uh, and yeah. And even weirder is that I had listened to quite a lot of episodes of James's own podcast, the Appetite for Production podcast, uh, which is a podcast all about production and, uh, and that side of things, uh, probably a bit more um, a bit more in depth than, uh, than our podcast and from the production side of things. But that's because James, again, knows a bit more about what he's talking about. So yeah, it's, it's, been, a, it's, it's been an unusual um, uh, reestablishment of uh, friendship, but uh, it's good to, uh, good to finally chat to you again after all these years, James, and uh, thanks for coming on the podcast i think i think it was such a coincidence that uh i'm thinking that maybe you were both just tracking my life and uh <laughs> behind the scenes and uh looking for excuses to to talk to me and um eventually got started a podcast to get me on it so this will be the last episode of the june lighting podcast now that we've achieved <laughs> our goal because james is a producer we wanted to pick his brains a bit about that side of things uh james has very kindly offered to uh, to help us out um on this journey of trying to make an album and give us uh, some knowledge where he can and maybe even get involved in some of the production if we're lucky enough to to get that but I mean we kind of started out quite naively at the start of the project like yeah I'll be fine we've got a year we can we can do this all ourselves and it'll be fine but uh, James is probably going to dispel that myth (laughs) slightly today and uh, hopefully we'll be able to figure out the difference between kind of doing this half-arsed and and really making it worthwhile and uh, coming out with a product at the end which we're really happy about i guess james we've given you a little bit of a background but uh, if you want to give a a little bit more of a background of how you kind of 
got to the point of where you're at now and what you've been up to and things like that around music production yeah well i'm i you probably remember just like everyone who makes music there's a little story of yeah i grew up around music and everyone in the family liked music and played music and i played this instrument and then i gave it up and then i played that instrument and then i gave it up um same as everyone i was in a couple of bands in school as many of us were um when i went to university eventually i i studied music production uh one of the reasons was because i was always the one who took people's ideas and pointed them in a certain direction so someone would come up with something and they didn't really know where to take it to flesh it out to turn it into a song and i seemed to be very good at that so i went to study production um after getting that degree i ended up working at a few magazines um those were basically music software magazines where i would I was working editorially and uh, they would all teach people how to make music and look at all the software that was coming out and stuff like that. And when I left those, um, I started writing freelance for magazines and working with companies that make music software. And I had the podcast as well. You sort of introduced me as a producer, but that's the <laughs> problem. I, I wouldn't say I've got that much music done at all over the last few years. And that's the situation we all find ourselves in all the time it's it's always the lowest priority thing to do to actually make some music uh, and so one of the things one of the things that I'm trying to do this month is to actually take some time to finish some of my own music um, so I've sort of carved out a couple of weeks where I'm going to do it partially probably inspired by you guys I don't know exactly where the thoughts came from but I knew I had to do it for a while but you have helped me sort of focus and think I need some time to finish off some of the stuff that I've been making for myself uh, but yeah I've given myself just two weeks at the end of this year and uh, I'm going to try and finish uh, many of the tracks that I've sort of been putting together over the last few years and yeah speed is the key I think <laughs> seems like one of the key themes of the podcast so far has been guests coming on and saying that they're going to produce loads of music lot much quicker than our year target. So <laughs> I don't know. If you give yourself a very restrictive target, you can maybe actually hit something, some percentage of it. Um, but yeah, that's, that's one of the things I've learned uh, after so much sort of editing so much music making advice and writing so much music making advice. It's one of the things is speed sometimes just getting it done even if the track you make isn't a perfect track uh, there's an element of practice to seeing something through to the end even if you don't sort of think it's very good at the end what you're doing is practicing every part of the process whereas if you start loads of songs which many of us do and don't see them through to the end you don't get the practice of stage two, you don't get the practice of stage three, you don't really, you know, and then you can't amend stage one to say, by stage four and stage five, I'll need it to sound a bit like this, so I shouldn't do this and I should do this. That's that's what you're looking for, it's practice, it's getting things done as quickly as possible, uh, within reason, of course, there's still time for perfectionism, um, but that's, that's the goal, that's why it's such a tight deadline for me. Yeah, that's interesting. So you say um, stage one, stage two, stage three. What would you say those stages are? I'm guessing stage one is having the beginnings of an idea. And I guess, I suppose you you have a few of those lying around from months and years past. Mm. Yeah, I, I wouldn't formalize it too much, but just start, middle and end, if you will. You know, it, it doesn't have to be a defined sort of at the start you do this, then you move on to this, then you move on to that. Um but just knowing, obviously, you can't make the song until you've written it. Uh, you can't necessarily write it until you know what instruments are going in it. It depends exactly how you're going about making it. Um, then once you've mixed it, you may go back to tweak some things and then you may get it mastered. For example, your mastering engineer, if you use one, may say, this should be more like this, this should be more like this. So by getting to the end and getting that advice, getting that feedback, it doesn't have to be a formal sort of first I'm going to do this. I, though, though I know, I think, uh, I think Rob's brother, Matt, was, uh, was um, planning to do it a bit like that. Yeah, he, he had a, a grand plan, I seem to remember, uh, much more than we did. Hmm. 
I, that can work. That can work for many people. Um, but yeah, for me, it's just knowing that there are certain things you do at the start, certain things you do towards the end. And if you continually just start things, you'll never get to the end of anything and you'll never get the practice of getting to the end of anything. You say that like us, you've not got to the end of things recently uh, in terms of finishing music, but presumably you know what those end steps are. Um, you've done things in the past and you've experienced with uh, the technical side of software and mixing and production. Um, which I guess is something we want to find out more about today. Um, we're hoping you could help us uh, in any way you can, but perhaps start with a few kind of common mistakes maybe that that you made uh, when you were starting out or that other people, beginners, have made when producing. I don't think it's about getting things wrong. I don't think it's about making mistakes. Um, it's not that they're aren't mistakes but the mistakes the mistakes you make would be quite obvious um i think it's more about having a different perspective and uh, bringing a different pair of ears in the people who are most experienced sort of if you like they have different pairs of ears themselves and they can look they can listen to something from different perspectives um but i think it's really about getting someone else in who can lend a fresh perspective to you like when you've been working on something for a long time let's say you've been writing something for a long time you start to miss all the spelling mistakes and things like that or you can't even think of what you should have done from the start but someone coming to that fresh will be able to they'll just have a different idea it's not about making mistakes I don't think I it's it's not that it's hard to do that in music but <laughs> I think most ideas are equally valid um so it's it's about bringing someone else into it who can just make a first impression because you only get one chance to make a first impression and you guys will have had that for all your tunes and um, you want someone to look at it for the first time. So when you're finishing your music, hopefully in the next couple of weeks, will you be bringing someone else in to have that fresh perspective or will you be utilizing your your experience to look at things from different angles yourself? Um, I think I have the experience of time because <laughs> I've been working on a lot of these tracks for on and off for so long that having put them away for so long, I come back to them with fresh ears and I can, I can tell better how to finish them. Um, I'm thinking of doing some, sending something for mastering, um, but I th will probably at some point get some other people to listen to some things and and uh, point me in the right direction or the direction that they think they should go. Um, one of the common things that people don't do until too late is uh, referencing, which is basically where you get a commercial mix. This is more about the mixing process rather than the songwriting process, but uh, you would get a, a finished track by that is comparable to yours in some way and you would basically swap between them and... Um, try and use the finished track to decide what to do with yours in terms of the all the technical side of things like it's it's levels it's dynamic range it's balance and where everything is in the mix um that's something people tend to do right at the end yeah. when they can it's no too longer late. yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they yeah. can't really go back and uh, add things in and take things away necessarily at that point i've heard of referencing but not thought about doing it this early in the process but you tend to is it tracks that are similar to yours or ones that you like the production style of or just ones that you yeah it, songs that it's you like? sort of both um they should be similar to yours because you know there are there are sort of different profiles for different types of song you know you wouldn't necessarily take a heavy metal mix and uh, <laughs> and compare it to yours because there would be a bit of difference in how the bass is handled and things like that or a uh, thumping club banger or something it's all exactly. about yeah 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 um, but you you should i i guess around this time you should be comparing what you've got to other things um, just in case you need, you think, okay, we need an extra layer of something higher up, for example. Um, yeah, it is most of a, mostly a mixing thing, but it's quite, it's quite useful to start literally comparing your track to others, um, in a technical sense 
uh, sooner than most people would do it. Um, and I didn't say this at the start, but James, your and your podcast focuses a lot on um, plugins, doesn't it? And like mm. you know, tools that you can use for music production. So, do you have any? Are there any plugins you can use for that to to easily reference uh, against for, the tracks? Yeah, or do you just are, literally uh, listen? You, it's very easy to just drag something in alongside your project and listen. Right, to it literally at the same just time. drag it in. Yeah, there are several tools. They're good, um, but I, you don't really need a tool unless you are doing it all day, every day, and you need to save time. Uh, so I, I think it would be fine for you to just drag something in and flip between them. Maybe look at it using a visual analyzer and uh, see the sort of difference in frequencies for example maybe your bass isn't quite matching up to where their bass is and you wouldn't be able to sort that out during the mixing process uh, so you might need to add or layer in some more elements um, at the point where you are now okay yeah so that's that's really interesting i mean i think this is something i've been struggling with and because we're at this kind of transition stage now of going from songwriting and it was very comfortable to be in the demo stage i think we found mm. where everything's like yeah it's just a demo like <laughs> now we have to get to the point where they're actual starting to be actual songs so i mean i guess all producers have a different um thought on this potentially but how do you know when it's time to start is there a right and wrong time to start mixing and when do you start talking about a track as a as a finished, you know, as you're working on the finished track? I, mean, I think I'm at that stage now in my mind where I'm like, these need to stop being demos. They need to start being uh, you know, real tracks. And I've, I've started doing a bit of, I know Jack on some of his tracks has started doing some panning and things like that to kind of space it out. But is there a wrong time to start doing that? I mean, could it be a hindrance if you start doing it too early? And, you know, when's the right time? I, I don't think I don't think you can do it too early. Um, there's no need to. If you've got enough mixing knowledge, and even if you've played about with a bit of basic mixing, I don't think there's anything stopping you from doing things. I think when you have, I was doing something yesterday, for example, and I got to the point where I had about four elements in there, and they were starting to, they were starting to get. Or we might say as muddy, or they were they were really competing. <laughs> yeah, they were competing for space, and they were all literally just dragged in. So they're centrally panned. They're all at the same sort of level, and that was the point where I thought, okay, this is getting very uh, crowded, and it needs a bit of room to breathe. And so I started uh, chipping away at stuff, moving things a little bit, and just giving it a bit more space. Because without doing that, it would be hard to start adding any more elements in because you've already got a very a crowded space if you will and uh, you wouldn't know where to put things it's like saying i'm moving into a house uh shall i bring all the stuff in and then start putting it on the walls and in place or shall i bring some of it in put the sofa over there hang the pictures over there and then i'll be able to bring more stuff in it doesn't really matter if you bring it all in and then arrange it um or if you just do it as you go along but if you feel it's getting tough to know what's going to happen next try a bit of mixing i think yeah so i think some producers say try and do everything in in kind of mono as much as you can so you're not you know you forces you to use eq and things like that before mm. you start messing around with panning and things but i think a lot of that stems from depends. electronic music when right, okay. you're yeah. you need everything to be in mono because you can't really have it in stereo as if you want it to be played in a very very loud in a club or something then you would have to make sure it works in mono because it's going to be ridiculously loud and there's going to be people in the venue. And so anyone standing by the right-hand speaker or the left-hand speaker wouldn't hear the opposite speaker uh, if you'd panned something. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think there's a set way. Uh, I, 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 don't want to, um, I don't want to be dogmatic about anything. No, it's refreshing to hear that. that there's no, I mean, we do keep hearing that the same response is kind of, there are, there are no rules. And I think you kind of, you can go searching for secrets and magic tricks and stuff too often. And the reality is, you know, there are no shortcuts. Yeah, well, secrets and magic tricks sell a lot of advertising space on websites. They do, uh, and a lot of plugins. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so um, there's a reason those messages are out there. Um, but yeah, if it sounds good, it is good to use a cliche. Yeah, I guess on that point, as as beginners, you kind of want a a basic set of rules uh, whereby if you don't know any better, do this. 
and then as you learn more then you can tweak it and get to know when and when to break those rules basically but um yeah i think rob and i could do with uh that kind of basic first first one size fits all if in doubt do xyz yeah i think that's that it's fair to want that and that's kind of out there but then again every piece of music is completely different and by its very nature um you can't have a one-size-fits-all rule that will actually work otherwise everyone would be doing it very easily um the different instruments in the track will lead to different things needing to be done um but yeah there, there are some generalized rules that can can sort of help but it really is you you see a lot of advice on the internet which is like oh boost an eq band at this point and cut an eq band at this point yeah but what if what if you don't have anything there or what if you've got too much there what if what if your actual notes aren't actually placed in that (laughs) you know aren't going to make that actually work i'm realizing um and we realized, I think it was the, when we were speaking to the vocal coach a few episodes ago, there's this, there's certain things when you're moving from the demo stage to the, the finished track stage, when you start mixing, that maybe dis, I dismissed, but actually through mis- mixing can be become good again. If you, I mean, so particularly with vocals as well, like there's so much you can do now with vocals that, I mean, me and Jack, I think we just recorded a few dry vocal takes and thought this is rubbish. Like this, we can't use this. And then you suddenly start adding a few plugins and, you know, start using a few techniques. It's like, actually, I think we can get this to sound all right, to be honest. So, uh, yeah, it's it's, it's uh, actually bringing back in some things that I'd probably dismissed potentially in the start, which is kind of interesting. You shouldn't throw anything away. You know, you don't delete, only mute. You know, if, if there's something that did work or felt like it could have worked uh, and it had something to it and you decided to take it away, just drop it out don't take it away forever going back to what was jack was asking about uh, mistakes um there is something that's occurred to me if let's say you've got two instruments that are playing very much in the same octave you know they let's say you've got a piano and a guitar that are playing about the same sort of range of notes that's often something that you find is very hard to mix and therefore you would ideally prefer that whoever wrote it goes back and changes one of those things so if you've if you've got if you can think of your instruments as taking up a certain range of notes that can be very helpful if you think of like if you think of an orchestra or something you know each one of those instruments has a certain range and that that really helps um with the overall sound quality so i think that's that's one mistake um that can can help to know about at the start for example so that's interesting how does that relate to say double tracking the same instrument double tracking would be fine because it's it's almost acting like an effect because you want those two sound sources to fuse together um into something that is more than the sum of its parts um but if you want them to be different instruments like the example i used guitar and piano you want those things to sound different and you want them to be separated um so yeah one way to do it is simply to pan one to the left pan one to the right uh and that's fair in mixing but they wouldn't necessarily uh advocate using that all the time so to have a better chance of an easier mix you'd want to go back to the actual choices of notes and and separate them musically if you will so so when you're making your music do you tend to I, I sometimes employ the the methodology like that of just adding loads of stuff and then taking away. Uh, do you do you do that, or do you protect, prefer to kind of go? I've already got a guitar, so I'm not going to add something in that frequency range. Or do you do you add them both and then think which which one sounds better afterwards? I I think I am very restrained, and it takes a lot for me to add something new. Um, <laughs> the opposite of me, then I'm like I have no restraint. It's like yeah. a loop with a thousand instruments. And that's fine. You you throw everything in and then take things away until it sounds good. I, I have a very uh, stringent process uh, of uh, approving something or not before it actually goes in. Um, so I probably spend more time choosing what's going to go in it. You spend less time doing that and more time taking stuff away. And we probably end up with a very similar result. 
Um, yeah, we've we've found and we've been told by various people the kind of paradox of um, volume and impact, whereby the more you add, the the quieter it sounds, kind of thing, um, less cut through. Um, so I guess this is going to be a very broad kind of question, but is is for kind of an optimum number of instruments to be going on? Yeah, I mean. <clears throat> sort of musically you've got the rule of three like three main elements you can keep track of them uh, that doesn't mean you can't have stuff sort of padding out in the background or other things going on uh, in terms of looking at your mix on your computer and seeing how many literal tracks you have in there um, you see people with ridiculously large projects sometimes yeah, with gigabytes um, of yeah a million tracks on them but uh, <laughs> if you actually scrutinize those you'll see that a lot of them aren't actually playing all at the same time together um one guy i was speaking to who makes very complex music uh, i did actually ask him this uh when i was interviewing him i said how many tracks are in the average project for you and he said about nine yeah. which <laughs> I, I think is which i think is fine um there, that sounds like again a good there number. are no <laughs> yeah, I think all my favorite tracks I've written have been the ones with the least tracks. So that's probably says that says something. <laughs> yeah, I maybe it's maybe you didn't like it enough, and you kept adding more to try and get yourself to like it. it. But it was fun, yourself, yeah. it was fundamentally the notes that were being played or the sounds that were being used. They didn't quite go well together. I think most of the things that I'm going to be working on over the couple of weeks that I'm taking are five or six at the moment and they only have sort of four main elements that are always doing something um i mean think about it like a band you know two guitars bass drums vocals that's five and everyone seems to be doing okay with that i heard this here someone mentioned that if you want to get into the mindset of not overcomplicating things just think is there any way we can play this track live if we ever need to <laughs> and if it's if you th if it fills you with dread the thought of playing it live then maybe you've got too many tracks <laughs> but then again there are plenty of successful tracks which are overloaded with bits of audio and there's loads of stuff going on um if you look at one of those you'll usually find that someone's got like say several layers going on for one instrument um because they're using a lot of synthesized sounds and they may have taken you know you can get people who can layer a kick drum out of three sounds um because they take a different microscopic element from each and yes technically they've got three things going on there um but it's just one sound so stay thinking about it in terms of certainly single figure number of instruments but that doesn't have to correspond to a single finger single figure number of tracks another question i've, I've got kind of moving from the demo stage to the actual finished track stage how, is there a, a way you can um, you can tell if um, if something you've recorded at the demo stage is good enough, or whether you should be redoing it? I think this is going to be a question. Interestingly, you'll know from listening to the podcast that out of necessity, due to lockdown, Jack, especially at the start, <laughs> all his instruments were not in his current flat, so he's had to utilize things from around around the place. And actually, some of those instruments that he's come up with some of those kitchen drums essentially have actually created some really unique sounds and... i was i was very impressed with the the uh the homemade homemade kits that you you both came up with it was it was very good the animals were funny <laughs> uh, they probably wouldn't make it onto the final tracks but but I, I, it still makes me laugh when Jack sends me over one of the demo tracks and all they're all labeled like Aldi Coca-Cola bottle or uh, in it. <laughs> olive oil kick drum. Yeah, most two are, <laughs> are the mainstays of the kit. Yeah, so I mean, I guess it's another tricky one to answer and it's probably another one of just, if it sounds good, it's probably fine. But once you've heard something for the first time, it's hard to unhear it. If you, know, you, you, can, yeah. you can always think, and I guess this is where bringing a producer in might help. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. How, how do you, is there a way you can tell if it's crap or if it's interesting? What's the, where's the line between different and crap? <laughs> <laughs> there is uh, no, there's no particular way of telling, but hopefully your brain should be able to do so. <laughs> if you, if you sleep on it 
at the very least then come back to it in the morning as i'm sure you've you've said a couple of times as every every music producer has that they were up till 3 a.m making something and then they woke up in the morning and it sounded terrible in the morning <laughs> yep done that a few um, times then fine that's that's um that's a reliable sort of judgment because you've come back to it with fresh ears if you come back to it a week later it will be a slightly better judgment uh, but there is no like i can't tell you a way to think of uh, <laughs> <laughs> if it's good other than just giving it some time and listening to it again as fresh as you can or sending it to someone else i think that sending it to someone else is probably the key you listen to something so many times and you, you lose all concept of whether it's good or whether you just yeah you're just tired of it essentially so i guess one important question for us to ask you is how long in general or as a minimum say should you leave yourself for the mixing um mixing phase of the process uh assuming that you've you know maybe say 10 months yeah <laughs> you've maybe done a little bit as you're going along but the bulk of it needs doing and we've got what less than four months left to do to do it all for all the tracks I mean, how how many tracks are you aiming at? About twelve standard quota for an album. Yeah, that ballpark might be might be a bit less. I don't know. If you're doing it part time, if you are tune lighting, as it were, <laughs> then I'd give it about six weeks, probably. Okay. Um, although there are two of you, so you know you can you can do it half half each, or you yeah. can just pass them back and forth. Um, I'd say that. Um, for this particular project should be fine you've been working on your your tracks for a while you said so that they're probably you're going to say there isn't a a time limit to how long you can you can leave it in terms of in terms of kind of overthinking it you know working on a track for for months and months and months yeah i guess you've got to draw the line somewhere yeah there is definitely there's definitely the ability to overthink it there's definitely the tendency to overthink it um i think you're lucky in that you will have many tracks to work on so once you've got to the point of overthinking track number one you can move on to track number two and once you've finished overthinking that you can get on to track number three um so you you can use that sort of task switching to your to your benefit i think i uh, i always think of producing music production as kind of two distinct parts um one of which is working out which instruments to go here, which parts um, which parts to add in, which parts to take out, uh, the structure of the song, all that kind of thing. And the other being a more technical mixing, engineering uh, side of things. And I guess they can never be completely distinct because if you alter the parts, then the mixing will need to change and vice versa. Uh, but to start this six-week mixing period, um, do you recommend that, as to the best of our knowledge, we've got all the, the writing, all the individual parts that are going in done? Or can you not separate it like that? You can separate it like that. Um, you can break it into distinct stages. Uh, it's completely fine, but you'll you'll know that what you've got to work with is it and that you won't be able to go back to the drawing board, as it were. Uh, but because we're all using computers, you absolutely have that option. Um, however, at that point, when you know that you can go back, you're very, very likely to go back and keep changing things and keep changing things, and then you're not mixing anymore. You're just r still writing the album. So my best recommendation is take your project export the individual tracks um create an entirely new project or even switch over to a different piece of software if you want to um if you want to give your mind a shock and make it look like you'll feel like you're working on a completely different project uh, and just use the audio you've got you've got to have the point at which you commit otherwise you're never going to finish it so especially with a, a 12 month project you need to have them down but that doesn't mean you have to have every track you could just say four tracks are ready, two months left, we'll start mixing these and we'll continue working on the other eight and mix those later. Um, but yeah, once once you are ready to submit your track and yourself to mixing, uh, I'd, I'd recommend drawing a very firm line under each one. 
Okay, yeah. So it's a, advice, it's, a, it's a deadline yeah. thing again, really, and a, yeah, a commitment thing. Otherwise, you'll never get anything done. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because the fear, it's always the fear of like, what if I just want to tweak this little bit of reverb or do something? And it's just like, yeah, you have to commit at some stage. If you really, really want to tweak something, you've got the option. Yeah, um, but it's that little extra bit of effort, so it's, you're going to be less likely to just yeah. mess around. So you, you'll, yeah, like you'll, it. you'll get an idea if it's really worth it, I guess. Uh, or if it's actually exactly just nothing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, where where are you up to now? We've we've all heard snatches of tunes and bits <laughs> that you're working on. Would you say anything is sort of uh, really on its way, or is it is it all just little pieces? Good question. We, we've we've definitely got we've probably got enough finished structured songs to, for an album, but it's whether they're good enough, whether they all fit together quite right. There's some that are fairly different, some that are quite um yeah in terms of sonically they're quite different to others um so yeah it's, it's it, we've definitely got three or four where we're pretty happy they're going to be on the album and they're finished structure wise and things like that but um yeah it's it, it's hard it's hard to know when a when to leave a track and just say that's not for this project and uh and and well yeah th- th- that's the stage right at the moment it's a it's a tricky stage kind of getting to the finalizing what's going to be on that album and i guess this is probably why we need a, a second opinion yeah right now is probably that time uh, this is a, sli- a slightly different aspect of it which i i don't know how much experience you've got of this james but when it's not just a track but a series of tracks and it's working out how a which of them are going to make the cut b how to make them fit together sonically um and obviously we don't have well we've not set ourselves infinite time so that we can kind of finish everything and then choose. We'd ideally like to narrow it down quite a lot before we get to the mixing stage. I don't think it matters too much if a lot of the songs are very different because that's what you've written. Um, You've got a one-year project and you want to make an album. Not every album is straight down the line one style or the style of the band some of them are more eclectic and if that's the music that you've made during this time then that's the music you've made during this time and that's what the album should sound like um you can start thinking of some thematic elements to tie everything together sort of uh towards the end um you can you can start putting in some common threads um but yeah i i wouldn't I wouldn't try and force um, force everything to sound the same um, if it hasn't come out like that in the writing stage. Yeah, because like you say, there are things, there's tricks you can use, I guess, to, to add in slight sonic elements at the end or you can do it lyrically or so there's always ways to, so I think that's that's it. It's, uh, maybe we shouldn't dismiss anything really, even if it does sound a bit a bit different, unless it's like a completely different genre and then maybe that's... Uh, yeah, <laughs> maybe. I mean, different. Sounding a bit different is fine, but sounding completely different is probably completely different. Um, but yeah, I, I think as long as it sounds good, and as long as uh, that collection works together um, to make the album you want to make, then it's fine. Um, two big questions that I wanted to ask james to get in uh the first one was from your experience what are kind of the most you mentioned the referencing thing earlier on but are there any other common mistakes that you see from like from early stage producers um or mixers that are kind of made across the board that we can avoid that we must avoid (laughs) um so i've said referencing from the start is at least useful um i've said that uh cramming all the instruments into the same range is a bad idea uh, overthinking it is a bad idea um getting overly technical um is not going to help anybody um if you don't know what something needs then don't just add processor after processor after processor uh because it will likely sound either very similar or just as bad right so that you, you don't like find yourself commonly hearing new music and going like why are they all doing this why are they not doing this <laughs> no i don't i don't i think i i think it's all very very well made um if you keep listening to something over and over and over again you will um 
lose your perspective and you want to keep the perspective as much as possible just that's that's your main mission keep everything fresh keep the perspective um don't mess with something for too long at once uh because diminishing returns basically if if you can just keep chopping and changing what you're working on then you'll be sort of at the uh at the peak of creativity as much as possible cool yeah because i guess if you follow those those basic rules there's this there's no one one rule really because there's certain things that people really like about certain music that put, potentially is completely way outside the textbook of music production you know whether it's particularly lo-fi sound or you know something that sounds like it was you know some people might pick that up and really like it for that exact reason so yeah unless you're trying to write a very specific song then i guess there are there's no real rules which is why making music is so fun and kind of yeah it'd be boring if it was like a a maths equation you had to follow every time you wouldn't ask uh, a producer or a, a, someone you need help from you wouldn't say what notes should i use um <laughs> so you shouldn't necessarily ask anything about what you know what eq should i use what settings should i use how much should i do this it's it's music yeah you wouldn't ask like a, a painter like what are the what are the rules what are the common mistakes of, uh, of painting yeah. it's like yeah although you've said don't overcomplicate it and don't you know throw in things for the sake of it there must be some plugins that you've discovered over the years that are kind of go-to's or you would recommend to to people starting out to kind of take it to that next level or to to help mm. out are there any i guess it's, it's going to be a varying stage depending on where you're at if you're experienced or whether you're just starting out because again you're in this world of like um like you said earlier if you if you search for you know you'll have see all these videos on youtube of like the essential uh reverb plugin that i use on every track and then it's like well are you just saying that but it's like yeah it's really tricky to know if that's just a thing that people say or whether it's true um no it's not true um you can create very 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 good music with just the stock processes that you have in your door. That's completely fine. Um, there may be some very minor technical things that uh, you don't have access to, um, but a plugin or a tool or an instrument, it's it's not necessarily about giving you capabilities that you didn't have before um, or making things sound like you couldn't have made them sound without it they're just tools to allow you to, to achieve a certain thing you want to achieve i guess that's a better way to come at it is you it, once you've got the knowledge as a producer and you're more experienced you might you might know exactly the kind of thing you're looking for and then you can go out and look for it rather than going i'll download this and it'll solve all my woes straight away Ex before yeah <laughs> exactly i mean you once you are more experienced you get to know exactly what you want to do to something because you've done it a million times before and then you know what tool can most easily and quickly do that um i don't think there is just one tool that will um magically make everything sound great and there's there's not like one that's better than all the the rest uh because it sounds better or because it performs better or there are some are better and some are worse um but it's all about which one um, lets you take the your most creative route to solving the problem or changing the sound. See, I'm looking through the list of what I've got installed. Yeah. And I wouldn't say any of them are like particularly hugely recommended. I mean, I, the ones I like, I would recommend to me two years ago, for example because I know that they fit well with how I do things and what I need done when I need something done. But I can't say to any of you, you need this because it's going to make this much, this so much easier, or you need that because it's going to make everything sound better. Better um, to learn what they do and why yeah. <laughs> than just downloading them all and hoping for the best. And again, everything that you've got that comes with your door is pretty much good enough. Um, there may be a couple of tiny things that certain doors stock plugins don't do um, in terms of technical limitations there aren't really any it's it's how how quickly or how well does it get you to the place you want to be that's the only real way you can judge a tool is good for you or not 
there are technical standards that you um, that you would go for, such as um, properties of loudness and frequency balance and things like that. But they're things that can be done later, and they're more in terms of getting it ready for commercial standards and broadcast and streaming rather than making a great tune. That comes under the mastering banner, does it? That, um, so I guess we've we've done our, our six weeks of uh, mixing, then it's time for mastering. Um, is that something that takes a long time? Uh, not necessarily. Um, mastering is one of the things that people always say you should get someone else to do it. Yeah, we've yeah, heard that too. Everyone's been telling us so far. Yeah, not. Um, I think I guess there are two reasons for that. Uh, reason number one is that these are people. It's a very, very in-depth sort of technical uh, skill, which um, it's not that people can't learn it, but uh, these people are particularly specialist. Uh, at what they do uh, the second reason is that once again it's another pair of ears however it feels a bit weird to me that that other pair of ears should come right at the end when you can't make any changes at all or can only make some minor changes um, so I wouldn't I wouldn't go for a mastering engineer to make recommendations I would just get someone who can make something um, technically correct if you will, there are there are things you have to think about uh, for putting something out over Spotify and YouTube and Amazon Music and all that sort of stuff. Just like there are things you would think about um, when preparing it for a CD and also vinyl. Uh, vinyl, you were talking about a couple of episodes ago. Um, the the answer to your quandary about how long can a vinyl record be is yeah, it does depend on the properties. Uh, I can't remember if it's the amplitude of the signal or the bass, um, but like the bass takes up the most space. So if you wanted to, from what I remember, this is just off the top of my head, but if you wanted to cram more music onto a vinyl record, you'd need to lower the bass. And then you wouldn't have as much of a bassy song, so it wouldn't sound as good. So yeah, our dance floor ready record cannot go on vinyl basically. Well, it can, but only like uh, half, uh, half, a bit of it. half the song for, for each side. Um, what <laughs> I would recommend, um, well, I wouldn't necessarily recommend it. Uh, it's up to you guys. But did you know uh, you can get your music mastered by Abbey Road for about £100 each? That's qu- that's quite a lot of money when you think about it. But Abbey Road, but also, considering it's Abbey Road, for Abbey yeah. Road, uh, it's it says uh, ninety pound per song, excluding VAT. So that's about what one hundred and nineteen pounds per track. But judging on that being the Abbey Road price for their highly trained mastering engineers and their highly excellent uh, rooms and equipment, then other online mastering services are probably oh. um, <laughs> even more of a bargain. I was going to say if. Yeah, if I if I was paying that price, I'd want a little certificate that comes with it saying mastered <laughs> by Abbey Road. Yeah, you could you could get one of the tracks mastered at Abbey Road. Yeah. Oh, uh, why does one of your tracks sound so much better than the others? <laughs> but yeah, that's um that's why everyone's recommending doing that because mastering should be something we can all do ourselves to an extent. Um, it seems to be this mythical thing that like because I mean mixing people say is hard but it's like it's within your grasp but mastering don't even bother (laughs) it seems (laughs) that the less difference a process makes to how your music sounds the harder it is to do and the more somebody else yeah I definitely imagine there's like this machine that certain production companies studios have which you know you stick the music in and it masters it and you know the average household doesn't have that which is why we can't do it (laughs) <laughs> yeah just one last thing um which has long bugged me uh, i'd love to get your opinion on it it's the the idea of uh monitoring your music and listening back to your music uh and whether you use headphones whether you use speakers or more importantly whether you use a combination so that you're not kind of mixing just for one particular kind of playback method what would you recommend? Yeah, when to use both. When to, when to start listening on crap headphones as well. I recommend from the start using as many different systems as you can um, because you 
as much as possible, you need an average sort of neutral, an average view of your track. Um, listening on the system that you know best, whether that's a professional setup or just um, just whatever speakers you have at home that you listen to music through most, is probably the most reliable way for you to judge something. But you need many different ways. You might listen to something in, on headphones and realize that, say, the hi-hats are way too loud because you can feel them tickling your eardrums. Uh, you might listen to something in the car and realize that uh, some mid-range balance needs tweaking. But then you will do that and come back to another system and find that you've gone too far. Um, it's never too early to start listening to things in a through something else, whether that's headphones, your phone speaker, or something like that, because people listen to music in such a variety of ways. Um, it's never too early, basically. I guess. I guess the thing with uh, the tricky thing is, though, you don't. You don't. Surely, you don't want to be going between things and then tweaking, tweaking, and then tweaking. Are you gonna? Is there a danger you're gonna get yourself into a, yeah, you know, going a bit mad in terms of like, if say Jack sends me one of his tracks he's working on, I listen through studio monitors and and end up tweaking something and then send it back to jack and he listens through some headphones and turns the bass back up and yeah it's i guess that's a hard harder yeah i i think i think that advice is more for one person listening to it uh when collaborating yeah you are at risk of doing something like that um one little tip is uh if you're getting to the mixing stage um listen to something relatively quietly at a quite modest level because um it's easier to if you can make it sound good when it's quiet then it's not very different to sounding good when it's loud um but if you make something sound good when it's loud and then turn it down it can be out of balance um so listen quietly um it's not just about listening through different systems but it's about listening at different volumes it's about listening in every possible situation. It's mostly to, not necessarily I think it would sound better with this change, it's looking for problems, um, looking for areas where something doesn't work if someone were to listen to it in a certain way. Uh, so it's rather, it's sort of looking for mistakes rather than making creative decisions. I think, yeah, I think I've found, because um, the majority of, recording mixing i do with headphones on but when i export something and play it through say just my laptop speakers which is you know effectively mono that's when i find that everything sounds completely different to um to how i heard it through my headphones and i wonder if maybe that is the better way to do it because if you can hear everything at once not in uh, different ears then you get a much better idea of the levels that things are at yeah, unless all your listeners are listening through headphones. Well, yeah, we don't know that. We need to do the survey, really, don't we? <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, headphones headphones are really good. I think I think there are a lot of very big advantages to using headphones as your main uh, source, which isn't a very fashionable view. Um, yeah, I was going to say that goes against a lot of the uh, a lot of the advice that you might read. Yeah, there are there are issues like uh, you won't necessarily you can. Um, you can have a stereo field that's too narrow and you'll put everything in the center because your headphones are right on the sides of your head. Um, but in terms of, like, Rob will know that if you read anything about studio acoustics and monitoring, there are so, 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 so many things that can go wrong um, if you've got a couple of speakers in a room just by having the room. But if you've got a couple of speakers wedged up against your ears, there's not as much that can go wrong. And you get a far more consistent sound. Uh, even yeah. moving your head will change the sound that you hear from a pair mm. of speakers. That's a good point. Um, but because that's head... the, that, that's yeah, that's the thing, isn't it? You kind of you read a lot of things online. Are kind of like the ideal situation if you're you have the money to make an amazing studio. It's like, but the reality is, if you're just set up in the corner of a flat or something, then you probably are better with headphones. It's all about situation. So yeah, yeah, I've, I've used headphones more than anything else for years and years um i think it's it's the way to go but it doesn't make you uh, uh fashionable <laughs> with the technically minded uh, no never have been never will be like to be a rebel <laughs> jack likes to be a rebel so james something we've asked all our guests on this podcast so far 
two questions uh, about albums that inspire you. Firstly, what is your favourite, or if you're struggling, one of your favourite albums of all time? I've got I've got too many. Um, that's the that's the problem. Too many albums that are great and that I love, and they're all perfect and they are brilliant for different situations and different times Uh, i can't choose a single one as big fans of albums through our lives me and jack are are trying to you know keep it alive as much as we can and doing our little bit so and we look at albums that we loved as kind of pieces of art i keep saying as uh, not just a collection of songs but like something that flows together well that's got something that really sticks with you that there's like everything from the cover art to where when it came out and when you discovered it so yeah it put if you put it that way uh let's talk about dark side of the moon um because yeah it's um it's talking about flowing together it's talking about albums that work as albums um that would be that would be one of many but uh one i could focus on So when when did you first hear that? Do you remember? It was quite late, actually. Uh, I think, I mean, everyone's heard bits of it, but I think I first actually listened to it properly when I was in university. Um, I think it was winter, and I was when I was really getting into it, and I was a lot of, you know, it was cold. I was taking a lot of walks, and um, I think it was. I also there's an one cover version of it. Uh, by the Easy Star All Stars. Oh, dub side of the moon. Yeah. It's a bit silly, but it lends a very good perspective to it. I like uh, I like cover I like cover albums and um, listening to covers of music that I love from a different perspective. I know Jack was talking about Smurfs Go Pop recently. I well, and, uh, which is another was, great I was, cover. I was, album. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking of you when I said that because I think uh, we uh, we shared that childhood memory. We did, we did, and I remember my sister telling me that uh, it, when you grow up. You'll be very embarrassed that you uh, not. used to let the Smurfs Absolutely go pop. No. Who'd have thought you'd be talking about it on a podcast? <laughs> Who'd have thought? Uh, but yeah, Dark Side of the Moon by Pink Floyd is um, the album, let's not say my favourite album of all time. Let's say the album I've chosen to uh, that's, that's all we all we ask. <laughs> I'll, have to, I'll admit, embarrassingly, like you, similar to you, what you said then, I know quite a few tracks from it, but I haven't really ever taken the time to listen to it properly it's one of those where you see it it pops up in top 100 albums of all time over and over again and i've just been lazy and uh and haven't got around to properly sitting down with it and listening to it like so i will make a make a note to do that properly now because i think it's an album about life basically that's the um that's the overwhelming feeling i get listening to it and um every yeah, it's quite quite broad quite um yeah universal uh yeah exactly and once you get into some of the lyrics and for some of them i had to read them directly rather than just being able to absorb them but um yeah that sort of always hammers it home and i go through phases of listening to it and then putting it back down and then picking it up again but uh yeah good choice i, I was yeah. i was 
like you, I didn't listen to it till uni. I remember very specifically when I first heard it, I was at a house party. It was quite late at night and whoever's house, the person whose house it was just led us to his room with a gramophone, <laughs> stuck it on and we were just sat there at like three in the morning. I think we listened to the first <laughs> side of it. I was like, wow, okay. I need to go in there. Mm. And I think a few months later, I went and bought it. Nice. And then, yeah, the second question we've been asking our guests is, have you heard any albums recently? They don't have to be brand new albums, but albums that you've come across more recently that you thought, that's interesting. That's yeah. uh, that's something a bit different. Uh, that I can answer a bit more easily. Um, I've been I've been listening to a lot of different and new music recently. Um, but one of the things I got into a few in the last few years, I think, uh, was a band called Pronto Mama, and they have an album called Any Joy. And the best way to describe that is uh, Scottish jazz fusion. Speaking feels uneasy It's it's hard to describe it, but it's very good, and um, I'm uh, I'm watching those guys closely from now on. Yeah. Excellent, interesting, very interesting. Yeah, definitely check that out. Yeah, I'm not even going to pretend I've even heard of them, but um... <laughs> I think it was one. It was one I found uh, because I was looking for a song in Spotify's search, and then after that, all the songs with the same name. Oh um, right, interesting. Played. And so it just happened to, they got a song that with the same name as the song I was after. And then I just followed the rabbit hole, basically. Oh, nice. I love a good Spotify rabbit hole. Say what yeah. you want about Spotify, not paying anyone any money. It's good for finding <laughs> ridiculously obscure music. Yeah, I think they've, they've done a lot of, uh, a, a lot to their recommendation algorithms and the songs they play you over the last few years, because it used to be pretty bad um as i remember but now yeah unfortunately yeah, on this occasion uh, the algorithm recommended you several songs of the same name <laughs> i think that was a few years ago oh, right yeah. okay <laughs> may have been playing through the search results or something <laughs> so yeah before we wrap up i guess um are there any things you'd like to shamelessly plug on air james you've got the podcast which is probably the big uh, thing but anything yeah. else if if I, I have my podcast Appetite for Production, where we talk about uh, music software, plugins, doors, and we don't take any of it very seriously. Um, but that's it. Yeah, I don't have anything else to plug. I am going to be uh, working on some music of my own, um, which is a rarity for me. But I've I've uh, hammered out some time to do it, and uh, perhaps perhaps. Um, Perhaps people can wish me luck. Yeah, good luck. Yeah. <laughs> is that is it coming out under your just your name? Do you have a pseudonym? I don't know if anything will even come out, but I've got I've got a collection of a loose project that I've been working on for a while, and I think I'm going to make some new stuff as well um, because I'm running out of music um, to use while working. Sort of music that can help me to focus. Um, so I want to make some of it instead of, um, instead of just relying on, uh, no more tracks that I can find. Oh, there's a gap in the market, Jack. Start, scrap everything, start again. Music to work to. That's the... <laughs> yeah. Well, if you want something doing properly, James, make it yourself. <laughs> exactly. Well, that's it for another episode of the True Lighting Podcast. I hope you found that interview with James Russell useful and, uh, picked up as many tips as we did along the way. I thought some... A very honest approach from James there, not coming in, recommending hundreds of uh, plugins despite uh, 
him running a podcast about uh, about that kind of thing. But if you do get a chance, I would highly recommend checking out James's podcast, Appetite for Production. It's a really great podcast if you want to get a little bit more nerdy and all things plug-in and production than uh, we talk about on this podcast. If you're listening and you're working on any music of your own and you'd like to send us any tracks to play on air potentially or just to listen to, maybe you just want some uh, feedback in a second pair of ears as we were talking about on this episode, then we love to hear your stuff. We've had a few people send us things on Instagram and Twitter already, which is really cool. Some great stuff going on. Uh, so it's at TuneLighting on all those social media platforms if you want to send us anything. Or you can email stuff in to TuneLighting at MusiciansHQ.com. And finally, if you want to give us one Christmas present this year, the best thing you can do is to recommend this podcast to a friend or family member when you see them over the holiday period. Tell them to listen along, increase our listenership, even if it's just by one. Uh, It really does help. And uh, yeah, thanks again for listening and we'll see you on the next episode. 